You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. The Svalbard Global Seed Vault is a secure backup facility for the world's crop diversity on the Norwegian island of Spitsbergen in the remote Arctic Svalbard archipelago. The seed vault provides long-term storage of duplicates of seeds conserved in gene banks around the world. This provides security of the world's food supply against the loss of seeds in gene banks due to mismanagement, accident, equipment failures, funding cuts, war, sabotage, disease, and natural disasters. The seed vault is managed under terms spelled out in a tripartite agreement among the Norwegian government, the Crop Trust, and the Nordic Genetic Resource Center, Nordgen. The Norwegian government entirely funded the seed vault's approximately 45 million kroner, US $8.8 million in 2008, construction cost. Norway and the Crop Trust pay for operational costs. Storing seeds in the vault is free to depositors. The vault has been depicted in several films and other art forms, including Marcus Pau's children's opera, Children of Ginkgo. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 390. We are fast approaching episode 400 of this podcast. Today is May 14th, 2022. We are just about halfway through the month of May. Then comes June, which, as many of you know, is Pride Month in the United States. Pride Month started in 1999 after a fashion. Then it was declared by President Bill Clinton to be Lesbian and Gay Pride Month under Barack Obama starting in 2009 and going through every year of his presidency. It became LGBTQ Pride Month. And now, of course, with Biden, that tradition continues. And as such, you can be guaranteed that a lot of major international brands will change their logos and push a lot of advertising, trying to virtue signal about how inclusive, tolerant, affirming, and allied they are to the LGBTQ plus agenda. But I start off this episode talking about the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, very often known as a kind of Noah's Ark of seeds, because I actually think that this seed vault is a good analogy or metaphor to explain what happened through the Dark Ages with Christianity in Europe. The Dark Ages often marked from the fall of Rome to barbarians hit Europe in stark ways. The collapse of infrastructure, the collapse of government and the rule of law, the collapse of administration sent Europe into a period of chaos. And at the other end of that period of chaos and violence and war 
and suffering and death. Lives were short and brutal and hard and uncertain. But Christianity preserved a great deal of reading, learning, science, philosophy, art. In short, Christianity in Europe preserved the memory that there is such a thing and has been in times past such a thing as an appreciation for truth and beauty and goodness. I think you could compare the rise of woke politics and even the championing of woke politics by major corporations. I think you could compare that to the fall of Rome, to the barbarians. I think that is a fine way to look at it. I think it's fair. When Rome fell, what had preceded the fall of Rome was a whole lot of just hard and fast changes in who was holding power in the empire, bickering factions, assassinations, plots, schemes, civil wars, a lot of self-interest on the part of ambitious men and groups took the place of what had previously allowed Rome to become preeminent, to become ruler of the known world for all intents and purposes. That ambition led to the downfall of Rome. It wasn't so much, first and foremost, that the barbarians got so strong. They did get stronger, in part because they imitated Roman ways of making war and thinking. But it was also that Rome got extremely weak because Rome hollowed itself out after a fashion. Edward Gibbons, the author of the landmark history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, I think wrongly attributed the decline and fall of the Roman Empire to the rise of Christianity. He speculated that it was Christianity with its pacifism, with its preoccupation concerning eternal life and heaven that replaced the manly virtues of classical Rome. I don't think that's correct. I don't think he was right about that. Not quite, anyways. I think it's a little more complicated. I think that, in part, what Christianity did as it became the favored religion, it went from being persecuted to being favored by Constantine, I think what it did was it shook the confidence that classical Romans, pagan Romans, had that their ways of thinking and relating were so correct. I think in conjunction, too, with their persecution of Christians and then the removal of that free hand to persecute Christians, seeing that Christians actually made good citizens, diligent custodians and stewards, studious students, I think it shook Rome's self-confidence. And the only way that a lot of Romans knew or could think to restore that confidence was to put themselves in charge. So ambition caused Rome to tear itself apart to an extent that barbarians coming in and trying their hand, once again, as they had for the entire history of Rome, had a chance. So then the barbarians take over. And once again, the self-interest being put ahead of the common good of Rome, the glory, splendor, 
prestige of Rome caused a lot of folks to give up a lot faster than their ancestors would have. They'd lost confidence that they really should be governing and ruling. They had been subjected to a lot of scandals and schemes and intrigues, taking power from this guy and giving it to that, from this group and giving it to that. And I think they were fatigued and maybe even in some measure shrugged that barbarians now would give them a change of pace, some novelty. I think also with our situation with LGBTQ+, plus Black Lives Matter, Woke Incorporated, you have CEOs and governing boards of companies who think that, hey, maybe a change of pace will do us some good. And maybe also, too, if we get ahead of the curve, if we do this thing faster than our competitors and these bureaucracies, which have increasingly handled the day-to-day managing of affairs in our country and around the world, these bureaucracies will be gentle with us, go easy on us. In fact, maybe they'll award us lucrative contracts for government work. Maybe they'll give us changes to the tax laws that are favorable to our way of doing business. We'll be ready, and then we'll ask them to do us a solid, and towards the end of social engineering, they will because they want to promote our particular brand of capitalism. So in my situation, I just so happen to be working, not for the first time, but probably for the most extreme example in my working life. I happen to be working for a company that is very much all in with this woke business. And that could get me into trouble. That could cost me my job. It could, at a minimum, if it doesn't cost me my job, very probably impede my ability to advance because it isn't about performance first and foremost. It's about intersectionality. It's about ESG scores. It's about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And if they thought (laughs) that diversity, equity, and inclusivity would be well served by a straight white male head of household, conservative Christian podcaster, author of a homeschooling book, father of eight, being promoted would further the ends of diversity, equity, and inclusivity, I don't think they would have embraced DEI in the first place. DEI is the opposite of meritocracy. In fact, DEI is predicated on the accusation that meritocracy is inherently white supremacist, racist, oppressive towards minorities. But here you've got this Svalbard Global Seed Vault. And what is the big idea? Well, the big idea is that ecologically, famines, droughts could cause the extinction of certain seed lines. Then add pollution or genetic modification. And maybe just maybe we should have a backup saved. You know, kind of like When you make backups of your computer hard drive, let's say you've got extremely valuable information or programs or configurations that you want to be able to reload if the file you're running, the program you're running, the configuration you're running is somehow lost, the equipment is damaged, you get hacked, there's a corruption. You want to have a plan B, which allows you to 
Go back to what you were running before and pick up where you left off. If you make a, a wrong turn accidentally or on purpose or you're the target of a malicious attack, you want to be able to go back and pick up where you left off. Well, that's the idea here with this global seed vault as well. We want to be able to pull these seeds out of the vault and start growing crops again. So these seeds are protected because we see a value in that. Well, it just so happens also that in the Dark Ages, monasteries, Christian monasteries throughout Europe saved a lot of old learning. And it's a good thing that they did. It's good for us that they did. Otherwise, we would not have had the Renaissance. I think arguably, we might not have had the Reformation. Interestingly enough, Muslim conquest of the Byzantine Empire drove a lot of Greek manuscripts from the Eastern Roman Empire, what had been the Eastern Roman Empire, west into Western Europe. And that led to a rediscovery of classical learning and also a stark realization of how much had been lost, how much was lost in all the fighting and factionalism and barbarism, the war and the death and the dying and the killing. Everyone was so preoccupied with not being murdered by their rival, they'd forgotten how to build aqueducts and roads that might last. They'd forgotten how to do science and philosophy and theology to some extent. And then all of a sudden here are old Greek and Latin texts, old manuscripts, and there's this renewed interest. Let's dust these off. Let's study them. Let's read them. Hey, wait a second. You know what? I think we missed our turn. You know, almost like when you find yourself lost, you're on your way someplace you've never been before, and you realize, I, I don't know where we're at. Does anybody have a map? So you pull out the map, and you're looking for landmarks, and you say, okay, well, I, this looks like this here. Okay, we're on the corner of such and such and such and such. Wow, we're way over there. Oh, man, yeah, I know. We should have totally taken a right way back when. And so also with tradition, you know, just... To a very large extent, to some extent, I think greater. The Roman Catholic Church, as it had allied itself with power plays by civil authorities, kings, emperors, queens, various others, particularly as all of Christendom was trying to figure out how to not be conquered by the armies of Islam, especially the Turks, the Catholic Church had taught a great many things on the basis of them being traditional, which just weren't so. You had civil authorities who were appointing loyal, faithful subjects to high offices in the church or removing officers of the church based on whether that was deemed politically expedient. And so some of what had become traditional and what was being taught, yes, it made financial sense. Yes, it might make political sense, but it wasn't true. And therefore, it was bound to fail. It was going to succeed for the person whose scheme was being carried out, but only in the short term. The trade-off was that the whole world would be gained by them, at least for a few moments, but at the cost of their soul. And then all of a sudden, we're going back 
to the original texts. We're reading them and we're studying them. And we're realizing that the greatest single thing which has been lost in all this chaos is the ability to think rightly, the ability to pursue truth. Those manuscripts served as seeds, which then were replanted in the minds of men. This is part of why totalitarian, repressive, statist regimes very often like to destroy books or reduce the ability to get certain books, which present competing ideas. And so also the Dark Ages are proof positive of what happens when learning and the ability to think rightly and to cross-examine is lost. Now, it wasn't totally lost, but it was lost in the mainstream. It was lost in the halls of power. And thank God, by God's grace, he used the church to preserve a love for truth, a love for goodness, a love for beauty. The whole basis for Augustine's City of God, written in the 4th century A.D., is to counter claims being made by pagan Romans that Rome has crumbled, fallen to the barbarians because of Christianity. Augustine, for his part, points out that plenty of falls of otherwise previously great classical civilizations, empires, kingdoms, cities, didn't involve Christianity at all. When the Achaeans conquered Troy and destroyed it, they were worshiping the same gods. How do you explain that? You holding to your pagan religion is a side issue. The question really is, who is acting in accordance with truth? Your ancestors, pagan Romans, did well because whether from pure motives or not, they acted in accordance with universal standards set down by God, programmed into nature of virtue. Now, they were virtuous because it was useful. And so then when later generations thought it would be more useful to not be virtuous, but to keep on pretending to be virtuous, see also Machiavelli, see also Saul Alinsky, see also the secular humanist establishment ruling and reigning in America at a minimum for the past several decades, arguably the past century. Well then, when it seemed more virtuous to pursue the ends by any means necessary, because virtue had become whatever is expedient in a utilitarian fashion, the highest good was to get power, to keep power, to consolidate power, to strike fear into the hearts of your enemy, well, then that's what generations did from there on. And all of a sudden, virtue, in the classical sense, in the sense that it made your empire in the first place, virtue was seen as a liability we just can't afford. So, for instance, I find myself recording this podcast and thinking to myself on the front end, and even as I proceed, if I'm caught, it could cost me my job. If I'm caught... It could cost me, however well I perform, the ability to advance, to be promoted, to be given raises, to have opportunities. You find yourself cast out, set aside, because you are a liability, as it is seen. If you actually are virtuous, all of the unvirtuous people 
We're going to seize on that. And yet, nevertheless, we can't store these seeds of virtue, of truth, of goodness, of beauty. We can't store them unless we really believe that they are worth replanting at any cost. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other news, there's an interesting article here from the Epoch Times. I've got the print edition because we subscribe. We are subscribers to the print edition. Headline, advocates say girls are main target of transgender movement. Selling the power to transform into the very thing they fear, boys, has created an epidemic of confused girls pushed into a self-centered agenda. Why girls especially, you might wonder? Well, it's simple. Girls hate their bodies during puberty. They think that they look awful. They feel insecure. Social media has exacerbated this. TikTok is literally creating mental illness among our young people. Girls compare themselves to every other girl in the world. And if they don't feel as fun and flirty and pretty and attractive and desirable, well, then they think they're worthless. And in part, the godlessness of our education system, coupled with the godlessness of our pop culture, feeds that. There's an ambitiousness and a godlessness and a cruelty about it all. So then, some young girl feels trapped. She feels scared. She's afraid of boys. She thinks that they're going to think she's ugly and awful. She thinks she's going to be alone. And then comes an opportunity for purpose and belonging. Man's Search for Meaning is a great book on this subject written by a Jewish psychologist who spent World War II in a concentration camp. Viktor Frankl concludes from studies he had been engaged in prior to all the Jews being rounded up by Nazi Germany, and also from a continued study of the subject of human nature, human psychology, while in the concentration camp, Viktor Frankl concludes that purpose and belonging are absolutely essential. They do make the difference between whether someone is going to make it or not. You have to have purpose and belonging. You lack one or the other, and you're going to give up on life. You will either actively or passively take your own life. Either A, you'll neglect necessities like food, water, rest, or you will actively try to end your life. So what is it that the transgender movement... has to offer these scared young ladies who feel so insecure because they've been bullied, neglected, harassed, tormented by the public schools and by pop culture and by social media. What the transgender movement offers them is safety, security, purpose, belonging, being the primary avenue, primary conduit. They want safety. They want security, they want happiness, they want companionship, they want to be celebrated, they want to be affirmed, they want to belong to a group. Well, now they belong to a group. It's almost like a gang initiation, only instead of you needing to, like in some of the really hardcore inner cities 
in America, which initiate gang members. Instead of you having to go kill somebody from a rival gang or kill some random person or pull off a robbery, you know, something to let everybody know how committed you are. You're in now. There's no turning back. You're one of us. Instead of it being like that, your initiation into the gang is to pursue androgyny. When the public schools are actively doing this, which they are in many places, actively grooming children to change their gender, to take hormone therapy, to undergo surgery, to radically change their wardrobe, cover up your sexual characteristics, your distinctives. Cut your hair short or grow it long. But let's blur the lines here, whether you're a boy or a girl. If you're a girl, we want you to wear boy clothes. If you're a boy, we want you to wear girl clothes. Here's your new uniform. Oh, you have breasts? Let's flatten your chest. Or we can help you to get surgery, which will remove those. Oh, you you have male reproductive organs? Well, if you're really, really committed to this whole transition, I know it's a scary thought, but you know we could get you in touch with somebody who can help with that, who can remove that. You talk about barbaric, but this just goes to show how important purpose and belonging is to the human soul. We were not made to be alone, and it's certainly not sustainable for this cultural revolution, Mao's cultural revolution, American style, it's not sustainable for people to be ostracized, isolated, excluded, to have no group, to have no family. Not forever. You have to have some purpose and belonging. You know, this is why moms and dads need, need, must, absolutely, you have to, it's imperative, get your sons and your daughters out of the public schools. It is inexcusable. You might think your school is different. It might just be you think your school is different because the teachers and the administrators there are just better at hiding it. Hey, kids, you can't tell your parents about this. And what if your kids don't? What if they don't tell you about it? What if your kids believe that actually you are the enemy. You're the problem. This has been done before. The same ideas which are fueling this moment have been tried in Nazi Germany, in communist Russia, in Maoist China. These same ideas have been tried. Turn the children against the parents. Use the children to weed out the troublesome older generation. Terrorize the older generation. Use children. And our children are being brainwashed in the public schools to think that this is actually progress. It's not progress. It's regress. This is a regression to dark ages feudalism. But these young girls, especially, they're more likely to go along with it, to pursue it, in part because they're girls. And this is also the other side of the coin for why so many more boys, the vast majority of ADHD diagnoses in American public schools especially, are boys. Girls are more compliant. They're more agreeable. Well, I mean, no small part of that too is also why wives are supposed to submit to their husband. 
but it's hardwired into boys and girls, men and women. Men are supposed to be more assertive. Not that every man is more assertive than every woman, but generally speaking, men are more assertive, boys are more assertive, more independent-minded, and they should be. They should be. Don't weed that out of them, and don't embrace this version of Christianity which starts calling that a sin. Don't do the same damn thing that broader society and the public schools and pop culture are doing to our boys and our men. Don't do it. Or I should say stop doing it. Because the church is doing it already. Abusing boys and men all in the name of supposedly protecting the oppressed and the victims. It's critical race theory and gender theory. It's just been theologized. It's been spiritualized. But it's cowardice. It's conforming to the pattern of this world. We need to be transformed. Not conformed. Transformed. By the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. That only happens by getting into God's word. That only happens by unapologetically sorry, I'm not sorry, believing what God says about us. All the more if it's unpopular. All the more if we're promised pain, punishment, exclusion. What does it profit me if I climb my way all the way up to the very tippy top of the mountain that is professional accomplishment if I had to sell my soul to do it? I will not affirm sexual immorality and the abuse of children. You say that these children commit suicide because we say that transgenderism is wrong, or we say that homosexuality is wrong, or we say that gender bending is wrong. What if these children are committing suicide because you led them into a dead end? It's not because they had too much objection from Christians, too much encouragement to turn around and go back to the way that God had made them and what God's purpose is for their life. No, it's not because they had too much of that. It's because they had too little that they committed suicide. You, LGBTQ allies, you drove these transgendered teens to suicide, these transgendered adults to suicide. You did that, but you're not content. You're not content. Your war against God and his created order will, and I I don't say this lightly, it will if unchecked, if there is not repentance, it will lead not to the suicide of Christians. It will lead to you violently and even mortally persecuting Christians. It won't be enough to shut them out of social media, to destroy their businesses. What comes next is you'll starve them to death. Round them up, re-educate them, take their children away. That's happening. I mean, tell me this, which would be better for you to pull your kids out of the public schools as they are promoting gender theory, critical theory, critical race theory, pull your kids out and homeschool them. Or by the time you find out that your local school has been grooming your child to change genders, to change gender identity, because that's the moment we're in right now. By the time you find out and then try to stop it, some local judge, child protective services, it's going to be sent to your door because it's abuse. Now it's abuse for you to try and stop this. You know, there's this really disturbing story in the Epoch Times article I'm referring to, and you should definitely check it out. I'll throw a link in. You might need a subscription. I think this is a premium article, but it's worth it for us to understand these things. Epoch Times does great reporting. We order the print edition as well, so it 
comes to the house and then we have copies of the Epoch Times and the Wall Street Journal available for our kids, especially our older boys, to be able to read articles from, start getting used to keeping up with current events. But I'm reading this here and they're tragic stories, tragic stories that make my blood boil. This is the kind of stuff that causes God to destroy cities and nations. It just is. And I quote, Abigail Martinez told the Epoch Times her daughter committed suicide because she was being pushed by the LGBT community into identifying as a boy. Her daughter, Yeli, walked in front of a train in 2019 after she tried to drop out of efforts led by her school in California to convert her to a boy. When Martinez resisted the school's efforts to help transition Yeli to a boy, the school reported her to Child Protective Services and a family court judge gave temporary custody to the state, which started providing the teenager with testosterone injections. Because they had custody of her at the time of her death, the state was also in charge of her obituary and ran her name as Andrew in the obituary. Quote, she was still very much a girl, so I don't know why they did that, Martinez said. Apparently it wasn't enough to take my daughter away from me. End quote. God have mercy on our souls. If we're willing to take the risk because we're so damn afraid of peer pressure. We're so very, very afraid that our colleagues at work, clients, customers, boss, HR, DEI, rep, or should I say commissar, will disapprove when they find out, oh yeah, no, we're, we're pulling our kids out of the public school and we're going to homeschool them. You know, I hate it. I'll just say this. I, I hate it that beautiful young girls are being preyed on. This is predation. This is predatory behavior, and it's systematic. But this is no big deal to folks who think that if it's convenient, you should be able to murder, straight up murder, an unborn child. This is consistent. Why would it be too far? Why would it <laughs> Why would it be a bridge too far to say if it's more convenient to us, if we think it would be beneficial to us to turn you into a boy, if you're a girl, turn you into a girl, if you're a boy, if we think it would be convenient to us, that's what we will do. And here's the crazy thing, except it's not. It's actual, like, legit, straight up, real stuff. Abortion rights are championed by Democrats for 50 years with the talking point that it should be a mother's right to choose. If you go back to the eugenics movement's origins, Woodrow Wilson, have you heard of him? He signed legislation when he was still governor of the state of New Jersey before becoming president, authorizing the forced sterilization of undesirables. We're not talking voluntary. Hey, you decide that it's not convenient for you to have a child now? No, we're talking compulsory. Whether you want to be sterilized or not, we think this is what's best for the greater good, so we're going to do this. There is no limit to what the people who are pursuing their own benefit, their own gain, are willing to do to those who get in their way. If their primary objective is to enrich and empower themselves, they'll destroy you. Their God says it's okay because their God 
is their belly. These beautiful young ladies wearing masks. I think that's of a piece of it too. Two years mask wearing, you get young men and young women conditioned to obey, to conform, or else you're out. Can't get any less purpose and belonging than you're expelled, we're throwing you out of this business, you're losing your job. Oh, your parents don't want to give you this vaccine? Well, we're just going to take you away from your parents and not let you see your parents. Oh, your parents don't want you to transition? We're just going to take you away from your parents. We've decided this is what's best for you. And at first, it's voluntary, kind of, sort of, except it's not, really. These kids are being talked into it. They're being promised purpose and belonging, like Viktor Frankl talks about. Purpose and belonging and progress. The world. But again, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Quite frankly, it is not worth my children, my wife, and my soul before Almighty God that I would keep the job that I have. It is not worth my soul or those souls under my care and protection. It's just not worth it. I mean, for that matter, barring some huge raise that I might get, my dollars are worth less and less and less every day due to inflation, due to rising costs of living. So, therefore, the threat being made implicitly as we go into Pride Month, the threat that the left, Woke Incorporated, makes. You know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like barbarians at the gate or even barbarians in the halls of power who are betting, they're banking that every Roman cares more about self-preservation than they do about what's true and what's good and what's beautiful. Well, not this Roman. You know, my son, he was recently, as of I think this past Wednesday night, engaged in a bit of a back and forth with some other intelligent, well-spoken, independent-minded homeschool boys in our youth group at our church. And they were discussing whether or not America is just like Rome, right before Rome collapsed, fell to the barbarians. And one of these other young men, I won't say who, but one of these other young men contended that, yes, in fact, yes. And I know, I know where he got it from in no small part, not to say he can't have the exact opinion that his father has and it be his own opinion. That's, you know, that's fine. But it is his dad's opinion. And it does remind me of conversations that I've had uh, with his dad when I hear my son has just had these conversations with him. But they're going back and forth about whether America is Rome and no better. And my son, for his part, he probably sounds a great deal like me. This is probably the exact same conversation that they're having in that house when this other young man goes home, tells his dad about the conversation that he had with Josiah. But they're going back and forth about it. And my son is just like, I don't think, I don't think we're just like Rome. No, I don't, I don't think that's true. Because Christianity. Now, my own view is, well, we might be. We might be there. Certainly, Western thought is a mixed bag. It is not just Christian life and thought. It is also Greek and Roman 
pagan. But I guess that's the question, right? When Woke Incorporated, when misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, bureaucrats might be able to edit your tweets if they get their way, might be able to edit your social media posts, might be able to edit my podcast for all I know if they get their way. When they refuse to allow for disagreement, they call any and all disagreement and criticism of this administration, this regime, treachery, treason, conspiracy, sedition. Well, who knows, right? Who who knows whether we're going to have proportions of Christianity and Christian management of homes and businesses and schools and churches and communities and states be any better than what they were right before the fall of the Roman Empire? Who knows? God knows. For my part, I do not like fatalism. Now, that might be surprising to people who hear me talking about how girls are being targeted by public education, public schools. By the way, once again, you can find my book, and this is why we homeschool. Buy it, read it. Allow me to talk you into it. Come on. What do you have to lose? I stand to make a little bit of money, but more importantly, even if I was just giving you the book for free, which I have copies. If you are at all close and you would like a free copy of my book, I will give you a free copy of my book. I would ask you to review it and favorably, but you you might be surprised to hear me say, as I'm looking at this article, I hate fatalism. But that's just it. I, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe that fatalism is the correct response to the barbarians having seized our government. I refuse to believe that. I refuse to agree with that. I refuse to agree with the shrug and, well, this earth is not our home. No, that is laziness. There should be some ability to call for repentance and also to not lump in the innocent with the guilty. Remember Abraham's back and forth negotiation with God over Lot in Sodom. God intends to destroy Sodom. Abraham is aware of this plan. And he doesn't object to Sodom being destroyed per se. What he's concerned about is that the righteous would be destroyed with the wicked. And the people who believe in total depravity would do well to consider the depravity still in their own hearts. Is it potentially, possibly, a mark of your own sinful nature that you are lumping in the righteous with the wicked? I'm so tired personally, and I don't mean any disrespect, but I am so tired personally of the fatalism. No, no. Stop demoralizing all of us. Stop it. Yes, things are not so great, but there should be some other way of relating to that fact besides A, this is fine. This is totally fine. Go with the flow, man right-sided history, progress, right? Or it's a lost cause. There's nothing for it. It's all going to burn anyway. What's the point? No. Stop it. Stop it. Don't come over to my house, for instance, and say, well, you know, odds are high. Your your house is only going to last so long. So if somebody comes along with a Molotov cocktail and throws it through your window, just let them. Let them, let them tear it down with you inside. No. You know, there's this uh, character in Lord of the Rings. 
Denethor. Denethor is the steward of Gondor. And Tolkien writes this character into Lord of the Rings brilliantly. You know, and it, there's a couple of themes that are explored via the rulers of the kingdoms of the elves and the dwarves and men, and hobbits for that matter too. But Denethor is the steward of Gondor. Gondor is one of two principal kingdoms of men in Middle-earth, the other being Rohan. Rohan is led by Theoden, king. Theoden is under the spell of Saruman, literally bewitched, kept in a state of stupor, similar to Biden, except the nice part about Theoden is he's still in there somewhere. And when the spell is broken, he's a great king. He's still sad and he's still pained by all of what he did while he was under the spell and what he allowed to be done in his name while he was under the spell. We have no such hope with Biden. I'm sorry to say. Unless by some miracle he becomes a Christian. But I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. I think he's an instrument of judgment, personally. But Denethor, Denethor is not king. He acts like a king. But he is heir to the position of steward. So essentially he's a caretaker. Because the actual heir to the throne, Aragorn, hasn't been present. He hasn't been around. He's been living in a kind of exile. But here comes Sauron and Saruman to destroy the kingdoms of men. And Saruman goes about it in a certain way by corrupting the mind of Theoden, bewitching him, controlling him like a puppet, similar to Biden once again. But again, I don't think the spell will be broken in our case in real life. Sauron, meanwhile, corrupts Denethor. Denethor has one of these magic orbs that allows him to see anything. It's almost like a surveillance camera. where He can see magically other places, and he can kind of surveil what's going on throughout Middle-earth. Now, the trouble is he also can be seen, and he also, in addition to getting information Objectively, he's also getting Sauron himself's twist on everything. Very similar to social media, actually, in our, in our corporate media. By the end of Denethor's story, his mind has been so totally corrupted by Sauron, he is actively sabotaging efforts by his men, by his own people, by Gandalf and everyone else trying to come to the rescue of the city of Gondor. Denethor is actively sabotaging At a minimum, he's totally hands-off, but he's also actively sabotaging because it's hopeless. He's given up hope. Also, I mean, quite frankly, there's some selfish ambition in the mix because he really doesn't feel like Aragorn coming back and taking his rightful place as king. I mean, it's kind of a lose-lose as he sees it with his twisted mind having been corrupted by Sauron. On the one hand... If Sauron wins and they're overrun, he and everyone in the city is going to be murdered. So in some sense, it's kind of like, well, let's get this over with as fast as possible. Even though that's wicked and evil and wrong, that's where his head's at. And meanwhile, 
Aragorn's coming. He knows that. He sees that. He confronts Gandalf about it. He's not happy to see Gandalf. He's not happy that Gandalf is trying to arrange for the salvation of their city and the defeat of Sauron, the destruction of this ring. He's just consumed by his own depression and despair and hopelessness. And he resents anybody else who's not so similarly fatalistic. He is not happy at the idea either that Aragorn would come riding to the rescue and save them. Because that would mean Aragorn takes the throne that Denethor likes to sit on, enjoys the power that Denethor enjoys wielding in Aragorn's absence, in the absence of the king. He's kind of like the wicked prostitute in the story of Solomon and the two prostitutes, both accusing the other of having stolen their baby or trying to steal their baby. Denethor would have Gondor fall rather than work together with Gandalf and see Aragorn take over. Solomon says, all right, I've got a solution. Let's just cut the baby in half and you each get half. And Denethor is the kind who would say, okay, that seems fair. We're all going to die eventually anyways. What's the point? So it doesn't end well for Denethor, by the way, speaking of giving up. But it's a good thing that there's a Gandalf there to say, no, stop it. And to proceed anyways with making preparations, trying to prepare the city for a defense against the armies of Mordor. I got to leave it there, though. That's all the time I have for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.